0: This address and scripture reading were part of the YouTube streamed worship video by St Paul's Lutheran Church, Box Hill, Victoria, Australia, on June 19, 2022. For more information, visit www.stpaulsboxhill.org.au. Lord, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Please be seated, everyone. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Everyone, you know, sometimes it takes the church a long time to figure out just what it is that the Lord is asking of us from the time of the Reformation in 1517, it took some 500 years for the Christian churches to finally get around to cherishing one another's baptisms. Cherishing one another's baptisms. There was a tremendous moment here in Australia at the end of the 20th century when the combined Christian churches published a combined baptism certificate A combined baptism certificate that could be used right across the Christian denominations. This is an extraordinary celebration here. And on this certificate at the back, it says the following churches have agreed that a certificate used by them in this form is evidence of Christian baptism. And there we all are, Anglican, Catholic, Orthodox, Congregational, Lutheran, that's us, Presbyterian, uniting. Hmm. With this certificate, the churches were acknowledging the blessing of God, the blessing of God at work in neighbouring Christian denominations in our common baptism as water together with God's word and by, by God's command brought life and salvation and the forgiveness of sin to that baptized person whose details were acknowledged in this certificate. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. That was 500 years in the making. It sometimes takes the church a long time to figure out just what the Lord asks of us. And everyone in this text that is before us today, this text, the text of my sermon, points to within the church, within the church, to find ways within the church to cherish one another's baptism. And there's the text. As many of you were baptized into Christ Jesus, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is from the letter of St. Paul to the Galatians. 2000 years ago, the Christians in that congregation in Galatia were beginning to fail to cherish one another's baptism. And to understand why he has these categories Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, we have to then usher ourselves into their shoes and figure out just what was going on at the time. What's going on for them? These are new Christians. These are new Christians in Galatia when Paul writes to them. They had then receive the good news of the death and resurrection of our lord caught up in the joy of this new way of living but a new message had come to town and it had found its way into this fledgling christian community and this new message wasn't the same good news that they'd been hearing from st paul of what our lord had done for them in fact you could call it a hybrid message that was coming their way a hybrid between this story of jesus and meshed in the history tradition of Judaism, of Judaism. New teachers had turned up in their community and they were teaching that the Christians needed to uphold certain Jewish laws. And only then could they identify who actually did belong to the community of believers. And everyone, the key Jewish law that was being asserted was the requirement for new Christians to be circumcised. To be circumcised. Now, everyone, to speak about that might seem miles away for a, from a contemporary Melbourne congregation here in Australia. But this is a vital matter to understanding the very heart of what Paul is speaking about and why he uses these categories in this text. Therefore, a quick introduction to you to the Old Testament teaching of circumcision and what it then meant for these Galatian Christians. We have to go back to the beginning of the Bible. Let's go back to Genesis 17, the Lord God makes a covenant with Abraham, I will be your God, you will be my people, and God declares that every male child will be circumcised on the eighth day. And everyone, since that day, that's a continuing tradition for Jewish people, but that is what happens as a sign of belonging to God, as a mark of that covenant um, that God makes with Abraham. And circumcision is this mark that the circumcised person is a bearer of this blessing of God that's given to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants. And here's the vital bit that I ask you just to stick in your back pocket to remember for a moment. Jewish women were not circumcised. Jewish women were not. But they carried the blessing by being the daughter of a Jewish father or marriage to a Jewish husband. But this is the old covenant. This is the old covenant. With the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's a new covenant. And the mark of the new covenant is baptism. Thank you, Hannah, for that strong message you gave. Baptism. Believers die and rise with the Lord in the waters of baptism. And this begins to unfold in the story of the early church. After Pentecost, the disciples find the Holy Spirit poured out and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the circumcised Jewish people and the Gentiles, uncircumcised people. How could this be? How could this be? The Holy Spirit is given to both Jews and Gentiles. This is extraordinary. And the early Christians then realize how extraordinary this is that the gift of the Holy Spirit in baptism is pulled out on all who receive baptism. And so they realize this displaces that Old Testament covenant of circumcision. So they get together, as good Christians do, for a synod to talk about this. And the very first synod happens and it's recorded in Acts 15. And at that synod, they decide that the mark of the Old Testament covenant circumcision no longer applies and they put it aside and they no longer require that. What's that got to do with Galatians and this chapter before us and you and me living as Christian people in the 21st century? Remember those teachers I said have come into town and they're asserting the ways of the Old Covenant. They were saying, if you're going to be a proper Christian, you need to be circumcised. That's what the law requires. And for St. Paul, this is the very opposite of the gospel. He's proclaiming what we know is what I like to call the big arrow down. It's about what God does for us in Christ's death and resurrection. And that in the cross, there's this exchange as Christ takes upon himself the sin of the world and graciously exchanges our sin for his righteousness that we would have peace with God. And we are baptised into this grace, reborn as the children of God. And so St. Paul pleads, and as you see up on the text, as many of you who are baptised into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. And having said that, he then enters into Categories that people are using to divide up the body of Christ. Categories that neglect the radical transformation that baptism has brought to the people of God. There they are, Jew-Greek, slave-free, male-female. The first of these Jew-Greek was the way that Jewish people saw the community of the faithful. If you're outside of the faithful, you were called goyim, Gentile. You belong to that Greek world. You're separate to the household of faith. And that concept is still used today in many contemporary Jewish communities. They'll talk about the goyim, the nations, those people outside. And St. Paul is saying, in the church, this distinction is a distraction. A distraction. We see each other's baptism first and foremost that's what we see everyone this must have been shocking to see that if you were a first century person who was trying to enforce the regulations of the Jewish faith Paul is setting, uh, suggesting that they, they should set aside centuries of tradition but this is the gospel of our baptism The second distinction, slave free, was the way you lived in the Roman Empire. You were either a citizen, a free person, or else you were a bonded labourer as a slave. Now, Paul is saying in the church, this distinction is a distraction. We see each other's baptism first and foremost. This must have been so very annoying for slave masters who had paid big money for their slaves. And now Paul is suggesting that you are to consider your slaves as sisters and brothers in Christ. But this is the gospel of our baptism. And then there's that third distinction, male-female. Everyone, this is not simply just a matter of gender but it is your place in community and society in that ancient world, in family. In this context, the woman's status was almost that of a child. And Paul is saying in the church, this distinction is a distraction. And it must have been quite disturbing for his congregation, because in the broader culture of the ancient world, for many folk, the man's DNA was almost considered like divinity. Paul makes this distinction because this is the gospel of our baptism. Let's understand that Paul uh, would ask that you take a, a word of caution here. He knows that your baptism into Christ doesn't change your heritage and that issue of being amongst the people of Israel. If you were a Gentile before your baptism, you were always a Gentile. You didn't change that. He knows that if you were a slave before your baptism, you remained a slave afterwards. Go and read Philemon. You'll find that whole book is about that reality. And he's fully aware that baptism doesn't change your biological uh, identity. If you were a woman before your baptism, you were still a woman when you came out of your baptism. But he's calling us to cherish baptism. To cherish what God does in baptism. That last line, you baptise people. You are all one in Christ Jesus. All of you are one. All of you are one. But it is the third of those three distinctions that's profoundly significant for us today. This passage in the core of Galatians, as Paul is dealing with that new teaching that's distracting the Galatian Christians from what the gospel truly is, this third distinction is pivotal in Paul's unfolding of the profound meaning of baptism for you and me as people of God in the church. Simply put, he's saying, whether I'm born man or woman, I am a vital member of the body of Christ. Both men and women receive the one baptism. Both men and women receive the same gift of the Holy Spirit. So I wonder if you noticed the difference between the three pairs in this reading. Remember when there's a little change in the scriptures, it's meant to capture your attention and and invite you to say, well, what's with that? There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male, and. You might have expected or, and there's an and. Let's dig into that everyone. No longer male and female. Yes, everyone, that's a direct translation of what Paul writes in the Greek language. And a direct translation. This third category, male and female, takes you right back to Genesis 1. Right back to Genesis 1. In fact, St. Paul, when he writes this phrase, is directly quoting the Greek translation of that Old Testament passage in chapter 1, where we read, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's our phrase, male and female. And that's what Paul is quoting here. And everyone, our English language lets us down here just a little bit. They've done the best translation for us, but the two words that Paul uses in Greek that are also in the Old Testament are not dependent on one another. They describe two creations of God. We have, you know, man, man male, female, these words are not like that. The best we might have is boy, girl, boy, girl. I so wanted to say bloke, Sheila, but that's probably not quite the emphasis. But Paul takes us back to the beginning of creation to explain a new beginning brought in baptism by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A new beginning and he summarizes that really clearly like often happens in another passage in the scriptures so I take you to what he writes to uh, the Corinthians his second letter to the Corinthians he says this from now on we regard no one from a human point of view even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view we know him no longer in that way so if anyone is in Christ and that's his shorthand for baptism all the time everyone if anyone is in Christ there is a new creation a new creation everything old has passed away everything has become new Now you hear from me why it's important that I explained previously something of circumcision and its place in the Old Testament world I invite you to pause and walk in the shoes of a first century Galatian Christian woman, newly baptised, newly Christian. And now she hears these words from Paul for the first time. As she hears these words, remember her faith identity was under the mark of the covenant of her husband or of her father. And her status was not the same as the man's. Now Paul declares what baptism means. That men and women as new creations are mutual and unified in their baptism into Christ. In Christ they are co-heirs of the promises of God. And everyone, it doesn't quite sound inclusive for our contemporary ears, but they are described men and women as sons. As sons. It's an extraordinary witness to these women as inheritors of the promise and not through their connection to any one person, but what God does for them. And so, to quote from Dr. Martin Luther, what does this mean for us? At the heart of this message is the invitation for you and me to purposefully cherish one another's baptism. And when human culture and agendas require division and relationships of power, Paul invites us to see in each other God's hand in our baptism. To see that person in the pew beside you, that person's baptised, like me. That enables me to see what has God God has done for them, what God is doing in and through them, what God will be doing for them, even in those baptised people we don't like, or that we don't get on with or disagree with. This witness invites me to anticipate that God will speak to me through them as they bear the spirit like me, both men and women. I, I, I should have been, way, Phil, you I fully introduced me as Bishop of our church in Australia and New Zealand, I assure you that as we sit at a Lutheran synodical gathering, this teaching from St. Paul is at work. This is what drives our Lutheran synodical gathering. What do I mean? We seek delegates from amongst the baptised. It's the primary criteria for a delegate to come to a synod, either district or general. They come together to share in the work of the church. Delegates must be baptized and we anticipate the Holy Spirit to be at work in and through these delegates young old boy girl And remember I said we started that sometimes sometimes it takes a church a long time to figure out just what the Lord asks of us and you're probably fully aware that it took us a long time to grant women the status to be delegates or even to vote but now we've learned a new way to cherish their baptism and the work of the Spirit in and through them. What does this all mean for us, everyone? This thing of cherishing baptism is also a task for us in the contemporary church to help our young Christian people in their own witness and in their cherishing of their baptism. Because more and more of our young people have Christian friends who teach a different kind of baptism, and they might call that believer's baptism. You probably noticed that when I read from the list at the beginning of this, my sermon to you, the Pentecostal church wasn't listed in there and that was, they're deliberately not in there, they chose not to be there. But Pentecostal Christianity with this different teaching is in fact the largest growing Christian movement in the world. Currently there are more 600, more than 600 million people around the world identify with that form of Christianity and predictions suggest that by about 2050, probably 1 in 10 people in the world 1 in 10 people in the world will be part of that pentecostal movement so we need to find ways to help our young people understand and articulate this big arrow down in their baptism of what god has done for them even though they may have been an infant at the time to cherish their baptism even though friends from other churches may not and to help our young people to confidently say, oh, I don't need to be rebaptized. I don't need to be rebaptized. What does this text mean for us? It has great import for when we are with a sister or brother in Christ who is dying. And we have a challenge with them to help them cherish their baptism. Because around them, everyone, the culture is saying, you know, she'll be in heaven, she's a good person. he'll be there, he's a great guy. It is an important witness to a person in their dying to recall what the Lord has done for them in the waters of baptism, how they have been incorporated in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a seal marked on them in their baptism. God has claimed them and will bring them home to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me end for you with a story about this certificate and an experience I had with it in parish ministry. A young couple came to me to have their little one baptised and every pastor's excited, it's a wonderful thing. The mother and the father were both members of my congregation. She was the Lutheran person and he'd been brought up in the Roman Catholic community, but both were active in the congregation and decided to have their little one baptised into Christ uh, where I was serving as pastor. But the dad was a little bit troubled. You see, his very strongly Roman Catholic grandma was devastated that the little grandson was going to be baptised Lutheran. She still had this old narrative that she'd grown up with. Baptised Lutheran, not saved. Deep dread for her. We looked at the certificate together. And he excitedly took it to grandma, And Grandma, of course, took it to her priest, as she should. And the priest explained, Grandma was delighted, Grandma was changed, and she sat beaming in the front pew during the baptism of her little grandchild, taking lots of Grandma's brag book photos. Sisters and brothers in Christ, we are called as church to find ways to cherish one another's baptism promoting that big arrow down of what God has done for each of us and is doing through each of us. To call out human divisions parading as God's design. To cherish baptism that with one voice we might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the peace of God that passes our understanding, keep each of our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord, amen.